0: Welcome back. This is episode five of Better Things with Joe Bianca. On this episode, we talked to Barry Spears, who's a legend on horse racing Twitter. You might know him as Urban Handicapper on Twitter. His nickname is The Sniper, back from his tournament days when he would nail people late to win these contests. He's a sharp handicapper and a really smart analytical guy who has a lot to say about a lot of things inside and outside of racing. We had a great conversation it was awesome getting to know him. So let's check out our conversation with Barry Spears. thrilled to welcome this next guest to our fifth episode of the show you may know him as the sniper you may know him as urban handicapper you may know him as a celebrity on racing twitter and a kick-ass co- tournament player barry spears welcome to the show hey nice to meet you thank you for having me on nice. great yeah great to have you i really want to get to know you because i feel like i feel like i know you because you know <laughs> on, on, on twitter i really feel like you're such a big personality but i feel like i don't know that much about you and, and your, your history but I know you're you're an outspoken guy with a lot of opinions, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. In addition, yeah. to a capper, so it's pretty
1: cool uh, because you know when you say that that you feel like you know me, I try to portray that on online as much as I can to be the same person I am
0: there as I am off of Twitter and the internet and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's good. To yeah, hear I that. mean, you, yeah, you're 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 a relatable guy. So let's let's start from the beginning. Are you a New York guy? Did you grow up in New York? No, Boston. Oh, okay. I, I grew up I on some- north of
1: Boston. Um, I was born in Jersey, lived up north of Boston for, ooh, I, I can't even tell you how long. And then I moved down to Florida in
0: 2009 and been here ever since. Gotcha. Because um, I, I feel like I read something about you going to Belmont Aqueduct and stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, my is- grandparents
1: lived in the city. Um, so gotcha. when we used to go visit them. We used to go to the track, and that's how I kind of got introduced initially. Cool.
0: Yeah, so let's 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 start with that. Like how you got started? Like what's is there an early memory in in racing that sticks out to you or like an early score that you had that that got you hooked because I feel like everybody's got that story.
1: Um it was actually when I was 8 years old um we used to go to Saratoga Travers week. So we used to go Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And you know, I was 8 at the time and and I just loved the horses, I loved the the jockeys, I loved everything about it. And then, you know, I kind of figured out that you could win money <laughs> playing the races. And I, I begged my dad, I was like, Dad, can you just, you know, we go to the breakfast in the morning. They have a seminar where you can learn how to read the racing form. You know, can you take me? I want to sit in and watch. And sure enough, we went over there. They gave us a $5 voucher and a racing form. And they just went through the past performances, how to read them. And then it just, I, I just was hooked. It was something that I, I thoroughly enjoyed. I, it just made me feel good. I, I wanted to be there all the time. And, and here I am, you know, so many years later
0: feeling the same way. Yeah. I mean, five days at Saratoga, I feel like can do that and get the hook in you. Yeah, so, those are the old uh, Harvey Pack seminars? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. They used to
1: have um, like one where they used to saddle the horses. They they had the, the DRF one. And, um, you know, and then... Charles C. Candy, I don't, I don't know if you remember that name, but she was doing the uh, workouts, just pointing out the horses that were running out there and things like that. It was great. I can't, yeah, you know, I, it's like yesterday for me. Do you still do you still go out to Saratoga? I'm going actually for the first time since 2009 in a couple wow. of weeks. Um The last race I saw there was uh, Rachel Alexandra's Woodward.
0: So it was a hell of a day to be there. Yeah. Probably something yeah. special like that happens this time, but you know, you never know, especially around that. Point. That's a high bar to, to clear because that, it is. You know, I, also <laughs> always, I always remember Tom Durkin's call that she she raised the rafters, and mm-hmm. you could feel that place shake. When oh, that yeah. happened, yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah, just an incredible memory. But so I, I mentioned, I did forgot to mention this in the open that you're also on the Going in Circles podcast with mm-hmm. Chuck Simon, who's a buddy of mine. now he's a friend of yours. How did that happen? Like, how did how did your relationship? come about and and how much have you enjoyed being on the show with him? I
1: don't know it was just strange we we kind of met online um a few years ago um I went down we we met up at Goldstream Park and just hung out and we hit it off I, I mean we're we're like brothers now at this point um and during the pandemic uh you know he just had the idea he's like maybe we should do a podcast and I was like okay and then he's like I got my iPad we could just start doing it and that's what we did and a couple years later here we are you know it's it's actually um a lot more popular than we both originally thought it was going to be um but yeah it's it's a great time we do it every monday and then we have like uh chuck does a lot of writing with with the Saratoga blog and things like that so yeah it's it's such a great time and and you know keeps us both involved and uh you know things are looking up
0: yeah well i i love i love you shelly yeah, i i'm hesitant to ever Shout out <laughs> other podcasts because I host I host the Writers Room, but I think you guys do a good job in terms of like I, I think one of the things we pride on us our, ourselves on that show is th- straight talk and not mm-hmm. sugar things, and I think that's something that you and Chuck do really well too. So I, I think yeah, that, that was that was like the basis of what we you know we were both on the same
1: page. We wanted to just talk the real you know nitty gritty about things in the industry. You know, no sugar coating. We don't have really any ties to any big corporations, any, any, anyone specifically. I mean, you know, obviously we have friends across the, the whole industry, but um, we don't have anything that we have to be worried about um, as far as saying things candidly. So, and, and it works out really good for us in that way. What must that be like? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a, you know, it's it's always like a, a high wire act um, with the industry yeah. because you know, you, you don't want to make anybody mad, but you also want to get the real information out there as best as you can. So we, we walk that fine line. It's tough. It's not always easy.
0: I mean, as, as long as you're making the right people mad, like that's that's how I always look at it. <laughs> you got to piss the right people off.
1: Yeah, I, I, I have that ability. <laughs> I have an a, a uncanny knack to do that.
0: For sure. Um, so in handicapping in handicapping circles, you know, you I think you made your name in, in contest play. I remember you as a Derby War as a guy. Is that still the way you mostly play, or do you do you play more daily? What's your What's your uh, your, your split like now? Um, I actually don't play contests anymore. I, I stepped away from it.
1: I, I one of my friends he's trying to get me to go back into it um, to to qualify for the BCBC and then head out to the Breeders' Cup for that. Um, So I might do that, you know, the second half of the year. Um, But, you know, it was something that helped me actually be a better uh, player through the windows is is the tournaments, because the way you play and the style you have to play in order to be successful, you can't pick favorites. And, you know, when I first started, I'd say probably 2014 ish. Um, I was kind of just, you know, trying to feel my way around the, the tournament scene. And then I kind of figured out, watched how other people play and then incorporated their styles into what I was doing. And then it just helped me progress with, with picking horses that uh, not everybody is going to have. and And that proved very, very successful when I made the switch back over to, you know, a majority of my play through the windows. Um, Because in this game, you have to be different. You can't have the same ideas as everybody else because that's how chalk happens. And I say that all the time, but, you know, being just, you know, zigging when everybody else is zagging is, is real big because that's how you win those big multi-race bets, um, you know, where horses just knock people out that, that are big prices when uh, – you know, only a select few have. Them. So that that's really the goal with what I do, especially with playing multi race bets.
0: Was there a specific reason you stopped playing tournaments?
1: Um, No, not in particular. I, I not that I got bored of it, but it was just, you know. Um, it was it was a little bit more time consuming than I needed it to be. Um, so I kind of wandered away
0: from it slowly and then I, I just totally didn't play anymore. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing that people don't realize is especially if you have early success, it is a commitment. It is no, like a absolutely. commitment to, to try to qualify for those those big contests and it, it can it can really wear on you. So in, in your day to day play, what what's your typical strategy? You have a big multi race player, win place guy, exactivist? What do you usually do? Um
1: doubles and pick threes are where I, I concentrate a lot. Um, because th- those pools tend to be pretty even as far as, you know. The, the payouts are, are usually fair, you know, but I look for times when you can get away from favorites, and instead of going, you know, four, or five legs, even six for the pick six, it's it's tough. Um, but I'll play those too. In addition to, you know, with, with my strong opinions, kind of center around those, and then uh, kind of build tickets around uh, around
0: the plays that I, I really like on a specific day on a
1: specific card.
0: So how's Saratoga going for you? How's has the the summer been to you so far? It's been a little tough for me so far, but you got to <laughs> hang in there. What's it looking like?
1: Uh spot's been treating me well. I, I had a couple of uh, really, really nice horses at, at good prices that came in for me at the right time, you know. And, I, you know, when I, whenever I, I'm right on an opinion, I'm usually going to have it up and down, side to side, any way possible. You know, the double into that horse, double out of that horse. Rolling pick threes, pick fours if it's in the sequence, pick five, you know. Um, so if, if I'm right on a a couple of times, and you know, I'll usually have it up and down. Um, but again, I, I still play win place
0: uh, stuff like that. So you know, we're trying to you know, I, I want to make
1: them pay when I'm right.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a trap that I fall in sometimes is like spreading too deep, and you got to You really got to hone in on, on those strong opinions. But I want, I want to ask you about racing Twitter because it is such an <laughs> interesting place. You know, it's, uh, it's unlike any other Twitter subset I've seen ever. And, you know, there's a lot of good, bad and ugly. I think one of the good things that it does is that uh, I think it holds people accountable in a way that people in the industry aren't normally held accountable. And I think it brings attention to a lot of things usually that are screwing over horse players that, you know, people normally would not report on or, or talk about of course there's a lot of vitriol too and a lot of ugliness. You know, what's been what's been your experience, you know, ha, you know, especially as as one of the few people of color that is, you know, a, a prominent guy in the business and on raising Twitter, just overall what has been your experience with that that little Twitter uh, community? <laughs> uh I can tell you it it w- wasn't
1: easy to navigate at first. Um because you, you you know, like you said as a person of color, it, the the perspective that I have is a lot different than the average horse player, um, or typical horse player. Now I wouldn't even say average because there's a lot of people called it play horses, yep. and I think that's that's understated on horse racing Twitter. Um, but you know, I, I think that's that's where I kind of step in, and I try to be that voice for for those kind of people. And you know, early on I wasn't. <laughs> It wasn't really accepted. I can tell you that right now. Um, it's it's been a work in progress. It's it's still a work in progress. But um, like you said, there there's a lot to learn from Twitter in all aspects of things. Just even beyond uh, horse racing and, and the stuff that affects the betters. Uh, you know, there's there's certain aspects of life that incorporate into horse racing that sometimes people don't understand, and
0: and sometimes I'll
1: I'll end up pointing that out.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it usually led me into my next question because I saw a great thread that you did. It was about a month ago, I think, where you were. You, there was this guy who was making these very subtly racist comments and then you called him a racist and then he got really mad that he got called a racist. Like, that's a big thing for white people sometimes. I think it's worse <laughs> to be called racist than to actually be racist. But, you know, I, I think it, there is a discussion to be had and I think you did a very good job of very of explaining like why these things are racist and offensive as opposed to just like blocking someone or, you know, just shutting them off completely. And it looked like, you know, maybe you came to an understanding a little bit towards the end of it. So like what, you know, what, what kind of motivates you to to call that out and, and to bring that to the light, to the light of, of racing Twitter?
1: Well, I think, you know, among the, the horse racing industry and the community um, there's a lot of misconceptions because there aren't as many prominent black people in the sport. Um, you know, from the history of the sport, which is really important to me, um, where black jockeys and trainers and everybody were kind of forgotten. Um, but with that, you know, kind of, uh, disseminating of the black culture that was involved in racing, it gets a little bit, I don't, I don't know if this is a good word for it, but whitewashed a bit to the point where, you know people forget that people of color are around, and sometimes things may come out and you know one of the the really big things I like to point out is you know if somebody is what I would deem have done something that that would be considered racist, it's not always animus behind it, it's right. sometimes it's the culture and how this uh this country kind of portrays itself. That brings out these sort of things, and 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 most of the time, uh, to be honest, most of the time people just don't realize it. And yep. if nobody's there to point it out, then they'll never know. And and that's where I've kind of assumed that responsibility a little bit, um, because I don't want to embarrass somebody to the point where, you know, they they can't function or you know, kind of doxing them and have them lose their job or anything like that. I just want them to see what's going on and. The reason I do things like that and I point things out, it's not all the time, but when I do it, I find that some people learn from it. Maybe not the person that I'm talking about or to, but other people can see it. Um, I've done things on Twitter. like There was a segment I used to do every once in a while, like once a month, called Ask a Black Do, where anybody that, that follows me or sees it can just ask me something that they may have been afraid to say to their black friend or anybody. Just to understand the culture, and and I'm all for it. So, you know, it's a, it's more about education than it is about trying to make somebody look bad.
0: Yeah, well, and I, I think that's that seems like the totally the way to approach it. And I think th- the discussion becomes so binary sometimes, where it's like, well, you're a racist or you're not a racist. And it's like there are a lot of people that are in the middle, you know, that have yeah, absolutely that have have racist thoughts that don't that don't even register to them. they're racist and that's why i think it's 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 a good conversation to have and and you know you have to have a lot of patience i think to have those conversations (laughs) but but for sure they're they're definitely worth worth having but i wanted to hammer on that point about the subtleties of racism because there there are so many small things that people do that they don't you know i think a lot of white people have a problem with the idea of being called racist for anything less than screaming the n-word you know unless you're doing that you know you can't be obviously racist so what are other what are some of the subtle things that you or maybe other prominent black people in the business have to deal with that, you know, can be perceived as racist that, are, you know, white people don't necessarily think of when, when it's happening?
1: Well, it, it's 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 hard because, you know, Twitter isn't technically a real place. So it, it's hard because you see. It these... <laughs> it's hard because, you know, you see people in their digital selves. Sometimes people don't understand what something they might say online could be construed as racist or kind of heading that path, especially when it's like comments on on, on social issues, you know, like during the George Floyd thing or, um, you know, when riots and, and Kaepernick, Kaepernick it was a big, big one, one. Oh. Um, you know, it. it it's hard to reach out to people because they can just close their phone or their computer and be done with it. So it's it's definitely harder to reach somebody online to to kind of educate them on things. Um, I can't tell you how many DMs I got just ask me questions and I'm all for it. I mean, my DMs are always open. You can ask me anything and, and I'll give you a, a candid response. I mean, sometimes it's not always what people want to hear, but I'm not going to sugarcoat it because <clears throat> there's no point in doing that. You know. It's just what it is, what it is. And and I I really don't like that saying, but in in certain situations it applies. Um, But, you know, and and I appreciate when people try to learn. Um, It makes me, you know, feel like I'm getting through to somebody or people are seeing this and and they're trying to learn and, and, you know, kind of make things better for everybody. And that's really the goal here is to, to get everybody on the same page and and we can all have fun at the track and and do what we would love to do without any of the the
0: you know nonsense that 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 can and does get in the way sometimes. Well, it's a way that you could make a difference, you know, just as a, as a regular guy, you know, you might be the only black person that someone interacts with on that day or or in that week Absolutely. where you can make a difference in in the way they think, you know, and, and the way they look at stuff. Um so just kind of the last question on that to wrap it up because you talk a, a lot about you know, the lack of minority representation in the business. And I think that's a huge problem. We were were on the writers room we were talking about, I was like, I feel weird. We're four white guys talking about (laughs) lack of minority representation. Um, But so, so let me ask you, like, what do you think is, is holding that back? Do you think it's some like the old, you know, blue blood ideologies in racing? What, what is it? Um, Well, I I know in this industry, there's um, a big hurdle
1: that they have to come over as far as, you know this is the way we've always done it um it's it, from a lot of aspects of this game um particularly with 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 minorities you know nobody's ever used to seeing um a black person giving out handicapping analysis on a track feed because they've never been there um i was lucky enough to to get the opportunity to do it with tampa bay Um, a few times this past winter. I'm going to hopefully do it again this year. Um, But as far as, you know, we kind of tried to trace back things, and everybody we talked to didn't know anyone that actually did what I was doing for Tampa Bay Downs. And it's 2020, well, it was 2021, now 2022. You know, it just goes to show you, like, where's the gap? Why, Why is this not happening? Um, you know, and that, those are the questions and, and, you know, it's tough because I have a lot of people that that do a lot of things in the industry, um, that are my friends and they understand, but they're not the decision makers. So it's just a work in progress, just like a lot of things in this country, as far as racism goes, um, you know, but hopefully we can make some strides, get more black people involved in the game. And then. We can branch out from there and have some some uh public handicappers
0: too yeah i mean like you're saying there are plenty of black horse players too like when i go to the track at belmont aqueduct i'm the only white guy <laughs> in my group you know I can hang out <laughs> exactly. with a bunch of like caribbean and West Indian dudes. Mm-hmm. i'm the minority in that group so like there's there's certainly plenty of black horse players out there it's just about being able to put them in positions of prominence um so i don't know whether that's like we, we should have like more like internship programs or, or you know it's it, there's it, it's a complicated thing to kind of solve because it's been festering for decades, you know exactly and you know I guess at
1: least from my perspective it's just about opportunity um like I got the opportunity to be on uh, TVG you know and and working with them and and hopefully that can progress into something more because we don't really have too many people. In this industry, if any other than like groom's assistant trainers, uh, people behind the scenes that um, are of color that are doing good things, but nobody ever sees it, and especially on the handicapping side, you know that's where I take pride in in what I do, and you know that that's my forte. So when I don't see anybody of color doing anything, it, it makes you wonder and and think, but. You know, I've been making strides behind the scenes, talking to people, networking,
0: stuff like that. So, we, you know, maybe we can make progress. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that that would be great. Uh, I wanted to ask you about this. I was reading about you and you said you wanted to be a jockey until you grew out of it (laughs) and you became a basketball player. What was what was your basketball career like? Oh, yeah, I I, I can't complain.
1: I I played overseas for a little while after college. I, I, you know, obviously played in high school. Um, went to Virginia union, played with Ben Wallace uh, for a couple of years. Um, I had my first daughter when I was in college. So I transferred up to uh, Merrimack college, which is up in uh, North of Boston, a division two school played there, um, ended up going overseas for a couple of years, bounced around there, you know, England, Ireland, Australia. And, um, you know, just once I figured out that I wasn't going to make it in the NBA, I was like, well, time to do something else. Yeah. And, you know, uh, then my attention turned to racing, and and this is where I am. I love it. I can't, can't complain. It's actually probably
0: more my my thing than the actual basketball. though is funny enough. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely worked out for you. You got a, you got a soft landing place here in, in racing, or maybe not soft, but a successful <laughs> place here in racing. Do you still ball? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm, no. I'm
1: too old for that. Yeah, my bad knee and stuff like that. So. You know, I kind of hung it
0: up and leave it. Maybe my daughter will pick it up and uh, and run with it. <laughs> gotcha. How about how about watching basketball or betting on basketball? Oh, yeah. You've gotten into sports betting at all?
1: No. It, you know, people ask me that all the time, and I really haven't gotten into sports betting. Um, I, I will kind of foray into DFS, like uh, fantasy football. Um, I, I tried a, a little bit of that last season. Um, I think I'm going to do some more this year, but it, it's tough, man. Uh, sports betting is tough. I, I mean, I guess if I was going to do something like that, I'd probably I I'd played I'd play basketball or mostly NBA. Um, but it's it's tough because you know one one thing can happen the wrong way and
0: it just ruins everything. <laughs> well, and you have there has, you have to have such volume, you know, to yeah. make money. Like unless you, you know, inevitably unless you like un- improbably cash some twelve team parlay. You got to keep betting and betting and betting and right. betting it's just a grind to a little bit of a yeah. profit yeah
1: yeah it's tough it's tougher than than racing in that regard because you, you're getting better odds at racing a lot of the times the way i play you know I, i'm i'm not i'm not going for chalk so i i concede those small payouts all the time that somebody who may be a sports better would love yeah you know so it's just a different sort of mentality
0: yeah, well, I was talking to Nick Tamaro on on this show a couple of episodes ago, and he was saying like there would be this huge upset in the NFL, and everyone would be like, "Wow, that team was plus four fifty at that circa or whatever." Mm-hmm. He was like, four fifty? Like, you're really getting that excited about that? Like, I could find right. you better than no I'm odds now.
1: there, especially with a team that probably shouldn't have won. Probably should be like twenty to
0: one. Yeah, like right. that will win the game ten percent of the time, maybe. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's, it's like you said it's 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 a definite grind." Um another question I had is I do you take people that normally would not go to the track to the track like if you introduce people into the business cuz that's always a hard thing for me cuz I have friends that ask me like oh, I want to go out to cuz they know I'm in the business and that I'm passionate about it. and they ask me like I want to go out to the track with you and I'm like do you really like cuz I'm going to I'm going to try to take you over and over and over again like right. go to- I'm
1: going <laughs> Yeah so, you know what's funny is um I was just, this past weekend, I, I gave uh, a few of my old teammates uh, some winners. <laughs> One of them lives in Jersey near Monmouth, and, and the other guy lives in Tampa. So I see him whenever I go out there. But, um, yeah, you know, the, I, I kind of was talking about it when we were in school, and they, you know, at the time uh, when I transferred to Merrimack, which is in Boston, north of Boston, uh, Rockingham Park wasn't too far away. So we, we'd venture up there. Um, and, and make some bets, and I, I try to introduce them to the sport, and they've they picked it up. So um, a lot of my Facebook friends are, are always curious because I'm, I'm putting up pictures of horses and me at the track with my family and, and so on, and they're like, that looks like fun. And then and, and I kind of give them the lowdown on on how things work, and then they eventually try it. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm very passionate about bringing people in the sport, especially people of color because, you know, again, that's, that's a, a, an area that's lacking a little bit um you know i have a cousin that that went to the races last year she lives 20 minutes from from Saratoga and really never went Wow. and and, and i got her to go and she ended up getting goggles from uh, Jose Lascano and yeah she, she loves it and she's she's making it a thing so she's going every year now so it, it you know you never know where you can make a a a fan and and i'm always on the lookout because I mean, I'm sure you know, but a lot of other people might not. But horse racing is everywhere. Whether it's an owner, you know, somebody like like Mike Rapoli used to do vitamin water, he's in the business. Like, oh yeah, and I and I pointed out to my wife and my family all the time. And I was like, oh, well, that person owns a bunch of horses. You know that? And I was like, no, no.
0: I was like, oh, it's a big thing, and and then it just escalates from there, and it's it's all positive. It's definitely true. Like I, we were watching the, the Stanley Cup final, and Eric Johnson was like celebrating that's right. like. That guy's been on our show a couple of times so yeah you it's you would you'd be surprised i think most people would be surprised where owners pop up and, and where horse betters pop up throughout the rest of sports and the, and the rest of society so i totally agree with that the only thing i tell people is like you know it's not for people who have a short attention span you know no. i mean it is, it is in the fact that the race itself is short but in terms of handicapping, it's not something that you just want to do like that. It's something that's going to require a lot of work and a lot of studying to be successful at it. And I think that that is the snag for a lot of people is, is you know, it's nice to go out to the track for a day, you know, get a, cup, bet a couple of winners, have a couple of drinks. But then, you know, it's, it's hard to get them to, to be their own handicappers, at least in my in my experience.
1: Yeah it it's I, I'm sure it's it's easier the younger you get people involved because they have that time. I mean even yeah. with me, you know, as as much or as long as I've been doing uh you know, been involved with horse racing, it took me a long time to get decent at this game. Um and, and you know, the the challenge for me it's it's intellectual. So it's, it's the puzzle. It's, it's putting all that together and then, and then seeing everything kind of come together and the plan that you had in your head on how the race was going to be run, who's going to be where, and then the outcome, and then you get paid off. I mean, there's really nothing better than that. Yeah. As, far as, I, as far as I'm concerned, I'm sure you, you probably agree, but you know, once you get that taste, I think people really, really tend to get involved more. And, and yeah. that's hard because you get people that go to the track and they may get a couple of two dollar bets and they're like, "Ah, oh, it was fun. But, you know, get yeah. somebody to win a couple hundred or a couple thousand dollars. And then you're like, hey, there, there's something to this. And and that's it's tough, but it may constitute them coming out more than once.
0: Yep, yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Last question, because I have been dying to have a hip hop head on one of my shows like Bill. Up. <laughs> Bill, Bill, my co-host on the Writers Room, doesn't even know who the weekend is, so <gasps> it kind of, can kind of extrapolate from that what I'm dealing with. Uh, I saw you. I saw you post a video of uh, Jay Z's "Where I'm From," which I had never seen the video before. I love that. Love that song. Obviously, I'm from Brooklyn. Um, I had never seen that before. But like, who did you grow up on? And then part B of that question is: Do you mess with any of the new rappers? Because I really, I don't. Know, I really don't. But let's hear what you got to say. Oh man, jeez. I mean, honestly, I, I can remember my older sister,
1: you know, bought a, a cassette tape. I, I'm dating myself right now. Cassette tape of Run DMC and and Roxanne Shantae way back in the days, like when the beginning of rap. Um, but, you know, Run DMC was always one of my favorites. Uh, Public Enemy, Chuck D, who actually follows me on Twitter. I was, I was like wow. starstruck when he followed me. Wow. Um, Man, it's just I, I, I mean, love you're it all. in racing, so
0: yeah. Power, yeah,
1: yeah. Actually, he he kind of retweeted something I had that was talking about um, how come we don't have you know music videos with horse racing in it. How come there's not many black people? He's actually asking the same sort of questions that we were asking, um, and you know I kind of went back and forth with him really briefly. Uh, but yeah, it was it was really cool to see that people notice. Um, but I mean, as far as rap goes, man, I love it all. I mean, I like the new people. I like Twenty One Savage. I like I like all of them. I, you know, it's all good. It's all creative to me, and I and I and I really identify with that kind of creativity on on any kind of level. I know things. It's like when people talk about the NBA. You know, the, the '90s were the best, and this, that, and the other. Um, for me, same thing with the NBA they don't get worse over time. It's just different, you know? It's just a different feel, a different angle, different perspective because
0: the world changed. So, you know, the rappers adapt and and I appreciate all of it. So what you're telling me is that I'm old and that's why I don't like any of the new rappers now. (laughs)
1: Yes, yes, maybe. <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 still listen to the old stuff too. I mean, yeah. from Southern rap and West Coast rap. I mean, all the different things. I try to listen to everything, but I mean, I, I do have to say I kind of like the older stuff a little bit, like that golden era of rap, like you know, two thousand to two thousand seven ish. There you go. Yeah.
0: That's, that's for me. It's like spot. eight like <laughs> twenty thousand something. Yeah, in yeah. The air. When Jay Z and Dmx really started popping off, right. and then you, like you said, exactly. you had this, you had the Southern infusion in the early two thousands, like Nelly and Ludacris. That was where it was that was where it was best for me too. Yeah, yeah. Man, I love it. All right, it's
1: funny. It's funny because people on Twitter kind of picked up on some of it, which is cool because people that are, you know, uh, I identify with or made a connection with. You know, I, I'm a I'm a black guy from from Boston. To a white guy that's that's in Nebraska, so you know it's it's brought us together, the horses and the
0: rap. So best of both worlds. All we gotta do is, is get Bill Finley to come along eventually. <laughs> we'll get him. That's, that's we'll like, get him. That's the goal. All right, Barry. This has been so much fun, man. I, re- I really enjoyed getting to know you, and I you know I I really truly sincerely appreciate what you're doing in, in the business, and I think you're such an important voice, not just on racing Twitter but overall in the industry. So, so thanks for coming on and talking to me, man. I appreciate
1: pre- appreciate all the kind words. I think you're too kind, but I'll, I'll take it. Um,
0: thank you so much for having me on. It, it's been real good to talk. Absolutely, man. I hope to, get, hope to see you in person one day too, or maybe at Saratoga. There we go. Yeah, 11th through the 14th. Good. Good. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Right. So this is the Breeders' Cup handicapping segment sponsored, of course, by the Breeders' Cup. The World Championships will be held later this year at Keeneland on the first weekend in November. First off, let's see how we did last week. And it couldn't have been a much better start for our handicapping partnership with the Breeders' Cup. It was one of those rare, beautiful scenarios where the race pretty much unfolded the way I expected. And the Haskell with the cheap speed pushing Jack Christopher through two fast fractions, Cyberknife saving ground on both turns and finding enough of a seam. To make his off the pace bid before just holding off tape on the wire. So easy game, right? We had $70 to win on Cyber Knife, who was an overlaid 7.8 to 1, which returned a juicy $616. And we cashed the pick four also with single search results coming through in the Molly pitcher for another $152.45. Total return on $200 wagered was $758.45 for a profit of 558.45 And our $2 ROI stands at seven dollars and 59 cents it's gonna be a little difficult to improve a ton on that ROI and this week's Breeders Cup winning your in challenge race which is the grade one 1.2 million dollar Whitney Stakes at Saratoga will be run this Saturday August 6th the second most prestigious and significant race out of the entire star-studded Saratoga meet behind only the Travers the Whitney is in my mind tied with the Met Mile for the most important race for older dirt horses in America other than the race it serves as a qualifier for which is the Breeders Cup Classic named after the Whitney family an institution unlike any other in Saratoga the Whitney's been run every year at the spa since 1928 it was originally run at a mile and a quarter before being shortened to its current distance at a mile and an eighth in 1955 it was won last year by eventual horse of the year Nick's go and this year's renewal features a high quality six horse field out of which there are five grade one winners and two horses in particular who would vault to the front of the horse of the year debate with a victory it's as legitimate of a grade one field as you can have outside of the breeders cup so now let's figure out how to make money out of it the likely favorite although not overwhelming considering the quality of the field is life is good I think he'll probably end up going off at around six to five or seven to five he's shown brilliant speed in all nine career starts and he's carried it to victory in seven of those races he successfully stretched out to a mile and an eighth earlier this year in an impressive pegasus world cup victory where he defeated the aforementioned Knicks go before fading late in the mile and a quarter dubai world cup he returned home with an easy five-length win in the john nairud at belmont earning a career-high 112 buyer this close second choice i think about two to one or five to two will be olympiad he's undefeated five for five this year his last four wins came in graded stakes He pressed a fast pace in the Stephen Foster last out and scored by two and a quarter lengths with a 111 buyer. The other two main contenders on figures are Hot Rod Charlie, who had a terrific three-year-old season that included a 111 buyer win in the Pennsylvania Derby, and American Revolution who captured the cigar mile and was second behind Olympiad in the Stephen Foster with a career-high 108 buyer. Happy Saver and Zoomer complete the field. The former is a grade one winner in the 2020 Jockey Club Gold Cup, but both are a bit too slow on paper to compete with the other four. So the key question in this race for me is how fast life is good goes early because there's no legitimate question whether or not he's going to get the lead. He drew outside, so he doesn't have to be completely gunned as if he, as he would if he broke from the rail. But Erad Ortiz, I think, is going to want to clear by the early part of that clubhouse turn. So does he take it to them from there and open up like Nick Go did last year in the Whitney, potentially going too fast? Or does he try to throttle down some and save energy for the stretch while allowing the other horses to keep him in their sights. My guess is that he's going to play catch me if you can. That speed is just too much of a weapon, which I think could be bad news for Olympiad, who I'm generally a huge fan of. Though he's been a terrific, he's had a terrific year, and his race in the foster was a legitimately huge effort. Olympiad has had basically the same trip in every one of his wins this year. He sits just off the leader, gets the jump on the closers, and he holds strong in the final furlong his come home splits are terrific he's proven himself multiple times at this distance but I just don't know that he's going to have that same punch if he has to chase a loose leader with the level of elite speed that life is good has so as for hot rod Charlie and American Revolution I prefer the latter who I think will be the biggest price out of all four major contenders hopefully around five to one or so hot rod Charlie has races that would win that's for sure but it's kind of the same thing as with Olympia they either came on the lead or pressing the lead which I don't think life is good is going to allow him to do. I think he's just too fast. So that leads me to American Revolution as the only contender who won't be taken out of his game if and when life is good runs off to a clear lead. He has some tactical speed, but he's the closest thing to a one-run closer in the field, and he completes a really strong complementary one-two punch for Todd Pletcher, who's seeking his fourth Whitney win, which would put him one behind the record. The record is five for trainer wins in the Whitney so my two li- my two most likely scenarios are life is good bottoming out the field with his speed and, and he just keeps going and and you know vaults himself to the top of the horse of the year discussion or him at least tiring out Olympiad and hot rod Charlie enough on the chase to set it up all for American Revolution to mow everybody down so I'm going to invest a little less this week because I don't think the favorites are as vulnerable as I did in the Haskell Also not going to do a pick four or pick five because it looks a little bit chalky and I don't want to give out a $30 pick four uh, for 50 said. So I'm taking my shot with American Revolution. What I hope is in the five to one range, we're going to go with $100 total. We're going to go $50 to win on number one, American Revolution. A $30 exacta number six, life is good over number one, American Revolution. We'll do a $10 try number six, life is good with number two, Hot Rod Charlie and number four, Olympiad with number one, American Revolution. So that's a total... Of $100. Good luck if you're following along. Why wouldn't you if you got a piece of Cyber Knife last week? all right so that's it for this week's edition of Better Things with Joe Bianca I want to thank the Breeders Cup for their sponsorship hopefully you can make a little bit more money this week building on that first strong week of that partnership I also want to thank Barry Spears for coming on and talking to me he was a great conversation can't wait to meet up with him in person at Saratoga It's great getting to know these guys these handicappers that you might see on Twitter or you might have heard about winning contests but you don't necessarily know them as people that's what this show is really about getting to know all of these people who were just so sharp and interesting and, and have so many different backgrounds so it was great to talk to barry so thanks to him for coming on i also, also want to thank patty wolf our producer and our editor is anthony laraca leah laraca and nathan wilkinson thank you so much for watching see you next time on better things with joe Beyond.